we've never had anyone on three times. We've never had a, a, a three-way. <laughs> a a three-peat is the word I was looking for. Welcome to The Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. As two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. Like intellectual bowerbirds, we aim to collect shiny little objects of knowledge that we think can help build better humans. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Unforgiving 60 podcast. I'm Ben Pronk. And I'm Tim Curtis. And we are joined for the third time. This is an unprecedented event, and a U63 Pete, uh, with Mick Nevin, who is always one of our favourite guests. Um, professional comedian, we are dialing him in from Melbourne, uh, where he's performing as, as part of the Melbourne Comedy Festival, and um, really looking forward to this chat, as I do with all our chats with Mick. Yeah, he's an absolute ripper. In this episode, we'll talk about his new show, how he's transitioned from the zombie apocalypse to being a melon head to now being fair dinkum, but also what it's like to be on tour, the importance of attending other people's shows, particularly younger comedians, to make sure you're still in touch, and what would Mick Nevin do if he wasn't doing comedy? Yeah, and I think part of the theme of his Fair Dinkum show is is looking at, at being an authentic comic. We'll, we'll talk about the sort of slightly different direction he's taken in terms of this particular show, but also talk to him about, you know, his reflections as he sort of matures as a human and as a comedian and what the future may hold um, for Nick. Looking forward to it. Let's get on with the show. Well, welcome to the Unforgiving 60 podcast. I'm Tim Curtis, and for the first time in a different room, I'm joined by my co-host, Ben Pronk. G'day, Tim. How are you? Very well. And for the third time in the history of the Unforgiving 60, one of my favourite guests, Mr. Mick Nevin. Hello, boys. Welcome, Mick. And you're in Melbourne at the moment. I thought you were going to say in the, the history of the Unforgiving 60, one of my favourite podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> If your own well, podcast isn't your favourite podcast, you've got issues. This is terrible, mate. I don't think I've actually ever listened to it. Like, <laughs> we finished it. Once the headphones go off, that's it. Drop the mic. Um, we've never had anyone on three times. We've never had a, a, a three-way. <laughs> a a three-peat is the word I was looking for. I believe the official term is three-peat, yeah. Um, no, it's an honour. Absolute honour. Yeah. So uh, good, it's good for me. It feels like I'm continuing to lead a life less ordinary. So the first time we had you on, Mick, we were combating the zombie apocalypse. Yep. The second time we had you on, you're a melon head, and now Mick Nevin is fair dinkum. Yes. And we're going to explore that theme and maybe the etymology of fair dinkum in a little while. But before we do, when you last came on, the zombie apocalypse was the fifth most downloaded episode on the Unforgiving 60 podcast of all time. Yep. Now, just uh, a caveat here, this is a low bar. <laughs> you know, don't, <laughs> don't be thinking Joe Rogan's sort of levels. But, you know, like, 
within our little microcosm. Yeah, look, I'll be I'll be honest with you. I wasn't thinking Joe Rogan levels. <laughs> <laughs> so fifth most downloaded, the zombie apocalypse. But our analysts and our researchers have been looking deep, deep, pulling apart the statistics. And you've slipped. You've oh, really? Slipped to the sixth most downloaded episode of all times. Okay. Behind Dr. Dan Pronk, the average 70 kilo dickhead. Hamish Blake, he's gone with a bullet. Apparently he's pretty popular, that dude. Hamish um, Blake, I've heard of him. It rings a bell. <laughs> Tim Robertson, uh, fighter pilot turned uh, SAS operator. Fourth place was SAS leadership with Ben Pronk. That's annoying. I've never listened to that one. And then in fifth place, interestingly, Mark Wales. Remember, Mark, we talked about him being on a Survivor and wearing his leather jacket in Samoa. Yes, 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 yes. But it must work because he's just been on Survivor Blood and Water with his partner Sam and won it. There you go. Still wearing his leather jacket. Still wearing the leather jacket. Has that boosted the sales, the leather jacket sales? Have we analysed that? Uh, well, I Ben has a correlation. Yeah. yeah, Ben has a Kill Capture leather jacket. I needed, I needed, I need a new jacket. I've come to Melbourne jacketless specifically with the idea of getting a new jacket. So, well, you're sitting there in a red and black bintang singlet, so mm. you, you're even gone to Melbourne shirtless, <laughs> just jacketless, <laughs> but shirtless too. Walk walk around shirtless. That's a bold move. Uh, all right, Mick. What's been going on since you were last a melon head? Uh, look, just um, trying to maintain some semblance of a comedy career in a, in a shutdown country. Um, you know, mostly, most of the time comedy involves a lot of uh, travel and moving around and crossing state borders, which hasn't been, uh, which hasn't been happening. Well, it's, is it fully back on? I've, I've kind of lost track slash interest, but are there any states you you have issues with now? Oh, no. Last one. We're all right now, aren't we? Yeah, it's all it's all wide open now, and um, festival season's in full swing, and we've got comedians from all around Australia and all around the world back in Melbourne doing um, doing the comedy festival, which is great. Um, Fringe World this year, the Perth the Perth Fringe was a real uh, struggle for people trying to put shows on. You know, I couldn't get in. People couldn't get yeah. Heaps of people cancelled shows. They were expecting to get in on February 5th and then Commander McGowan made the decision to push it back a few weeks and all this, yeah, a whole bunch of shows got cancelled and yeah, it was a bit of a, uh, bit of a struggle. Yeah. I mean, and we did touch on this last time, but that is a massive impact. If, you know, this isn't just a nice to have, oh, it'd be great to see McNevin in Perth. This is your livelihood. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, um, per fringe, like if in turn, you know, in just purely in um, uh, money terms, it's it's a fair chunk. If you have a successful fringe, if yeah, successful fringe, that's a that's a fair chunk of your income for the year that yeah. you then have to sort of find somewhere else. And then you go to, from Perth fringe to Adelaide, and you work on your show in Perth, and you take it to Adelaide, and so yeah, you didn't you don't get that time, you don't get the money, you don't get the time on stage, and yeah, it's quite a uh, it has an impact. Is, is this part of the reason why you go on fair income this time? Yeah, that's right. It's well, it's fair because <laughs> I haven't, I haven't had a warm up of it. It's, I'm just jumping straight in. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tim, you're busting to, to hit us with the, the etymology. You've you've been deep in the, oh, the archives. Well, the analysts have. Yeah, I mean, our researchers tell us 
Mick, that the <laughs> etymology of uh, fair dinkum is actually a bit contested. So there's a theory that the word dinkum comes from the English Midlands and meant work. So fair dinkum meant a fair day's work and a fair day's pay. However, there's a second school of thought that says that dinkum was coined on the Australian gold fields and that it comes from one of the Chinese dialects that were widely spoken in the diggings with din and cum loosely translating as true gold. However, our researchers tell us there's less evidence about the Chinese version and the word dinkum appears in some novels as early as the late 19th century. So it seems like the, the English version of the etymology is correct. Um, and the dictionary definition of dinkum is unquestionably good or genuine. Fine. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one you're running with? Yeah. Now, I, I like the, uh, the, Chinese, the Chinese version as well because um, obviously the Chinese came over here, they worked hard, and one of, the, one of their gold-finding techniques was to go through the old spoilings of the other miners, the white miners, and they then find gold that uh, the other blokes had missed, which then enraged the other miners who used, used to beat the Chinese up and steal their gold. And, um, yeah, so I, I like that one. The, uh, the, I like the gold one, Fair Income True Gold, because that's what the show's full of. A lot of gold in there. <laughs> Comedy gold. Comedy gold, exactly. And, and to quote from your, your promo materials, which this has got to be something you've written in third person. We, we do this with our bios, but um, <laughs> love, love going with this. But now in his 18th year stand-up, lining up for his 10th solo show, Mick has done it all, except being nominated for a big award at Melbourne International Comedy Festival. That's about to change. This year, he's fair dinkum. It's the brand-new show that's sure to deliver the success Nebo richly deserves. I like it. You, you're calling your shot you're swinging for the bleachers but it also just troubles me a bit that for the last nine solo shows have you been half asking it (laughs) (laughs) no not at all not at all and um my ticket sales definitely wouldn't suggest that either um no you know you've, you've got to write something and you know generally i think if you delve a little bit deeper into most of my because uh, you get there's a you get a 20 word description which goes in the in the comedy festival printed guide you get a 60 word subscription description which goes at the top of the website and then if you go further down i think you get a 250 word or 300 word uh description to um to you know try and sell yourself further and generally ain't around ain't nobody reading that no, well, no, I actually did because your last line in this one on the website, well done on making it this far through the 750 word <laughs> website description. There you Obviously, go. A little bit interested, buy a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> <at the> show. <laughs> and yeah, usually somewhere in there I, um, I write something about not only have I performed here and I've done the Edinburgh Fringe and done shows for the troops overseas, uh, I've also written a lot of my bios in the third person and, um, you know, by the time you get to 700 words, you're just playing around because no one no one gets there. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. Um, tell us a little bit more about the, the big awards at, at Melbourne Comedy Festival. Is it, is it a bit like the Oscars? Is there one for, I don't know, choreography? Or can you can you sort of angle it a bit and get a cute one for stage direction or, or costume or something? Yeah, no, there's the Most Outstanding Show Award and then they have, they have a Best Newcomer 
uh, they have there's a piece of wood award that's the one that's awarded by comedians so the comedians comedian award which is a, that's a good one to win and that's um yeah and the judging panel for that is previous winners of the piece of wood award so you've got to you know send those blokes an email and say come watch my show <laughs> or they just they travel around on buzz you know i was going to ask I don't even know what the word etymology means. Tim, obviously, it's his, his word of the day today. But what, what's the, the sort of background for the Piece of Wood Award? Why is it called that? Uh, I've got absolutely no idea. I don't know. I think it's just to mean it's both, it's probably an ironic because it, it's the, 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 the award is a piece of wood. So I'm just saying it's probably an ironic, um, you know, rather than a big yeah. trophy or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Comedians don't need to piss in each other's pocket. Well done, mate. Here's a piece of wood. Just give yeah, you a woody. It's the honour, not the, the show. Gives yeah. you a woody. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Um. Yeah. Go to. So, your bottled solid gold show. Who else is down there with you? Also rolling out some some gold. Ah, oh, there's a you know. It, it's the best thing about the uh, comedy festival is going to watch other shows and then working with other people, and it really does push you to be better because you you know you watch someone and you just think oh they do something brilliant that you've never seen before you know it's like how has he turned that into that and created that and you just think i'm, I'm quitting comedy i'm i'm not good enough <laughs> and that so it really pushes you to um to try harder and also when you when you're working with comedians every night and you see them do a bit and then you you're thinking about that bit and you see him again do it do it do the same bit at another show and immediately you think oh here's an idea and you just say you know, what if you took that punchline a step further and did this? And they go, oh, dude, that's, why didn't I think of that? And then the next time you see it, they've got your line in their, in their bit, you know, and so it's, we're all with you, you know, when you're working with you, you're, you're always working with your mates and mm. sort of helping each other and throwing lines at each other and stuff like that, you know. So you start with a five-minute bit and then three of your mates will see it and then three nights later it's a ten-minute bit because they've thrown some ideas at you that really work. And also, also, you, you'd, you'd never think that comedy was competitive, really, and you'd also never think that comedy could be a team sport. Yeah, hundred percent, it's a team sport, and you you watch anyone set, you know. And I mean, there's you know, there's groups, there's cliques, there's people that work together, people that came up through the open mic. When you're open micing together, that's they'll sort of become a group, or you know, there's a Brisbane crew and a Sydney crew and a Melbourne crew and um yeah but you have your mates and they're the ones that sort of help push you along and make you better and yeah and so what's fair dinkum all about mick uh it's it's just loosely about um trying to be better and trying to um get better as i get older really mm -hmm. that's the loose thing um and things that uh yeah, you know, like those things that you feel like for in I don't know, it's it's hardly even written yet to be honest. <laughs> no, um, it's I've got I've probably like it's a fifty minute show, and I reckon I've got um, thirty minutes of I'm just trying to be um, a more authentic in the moment sort of comedian. So I know I've got a start point, and I know I've got a couple of middle bits. And I know I've got an ending, 
but the in the in between i want to try and be more in the in the moment and um more reactive to what's happening around me and in the room and like from a from an improvisational point of view whether in impro where they say everything's an offer and you can't say no um that's what i'm trying to bring into this show where everything's an offer and you can't say no to it so rather than be married to the material and have a 50 minute script that starts here and has 50 minutes of words that you must say in order for the end to make sense i'm trying to go well i've got 30 minutes of material with a beginning and a middle and an end and in between i just want to be able to be more authentically in the moment and therefore a uh, a more fair income show yeah is, is that a bit uh scary you know do one of those do something every day that scares you a bit sort of going on knowing that you've got to do some work 20 minutes you've got to be uh res responsive rather than knowing you've got 50 minutes it's safe and you you know you can you can fill it is it is it sort of challenging and exciting in that respect? Oh, 100%. It's, yeah, it's, it's exciting. I'm really looking forward to it. It's, uh, um, and like I say, like it's going to be a different experience for every audience every night. So like some people are going to walk out and go, oh, my God, I can't believe he just, that was incredible. And some people are going to walk out and go, well, that 30-minute show sucked. Um, <laughs> no, no one's going to walk out thinking that. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's trying to be trying to be. It'll be a different experience every night. Yeah, and also it gives you a bit more freedom with your material as well to know that um, you can. There's a bit of time there. If suddenly mid, you know, by being more open to improvisation and uh, and riffing, then you can take your in, instead of a joke ending where you thought it would end, it might end in a different place five minutes later and then you record each show and you listen back to it and then all of a sudden you think oh that's you know that's that's a really good bit now or it's yeah it's a better yeah do, do any of those improv bits um sort of work on the night and then you you try and do them again in a different context like like you've just described you know you've, you've sort of had a bit you've riffed off it in in an improv sense based on interaction with the crowd it's landed really well and then you've tried that again later down the track and it just hasn't worked is some of it uh, contextual or, or do you generally build the show sort of based on that feedback you know it's definitely contextual and some stuff you can um because like I don't know, like for instance i was uh hosting a show and there was just chatting to um someone in the crowd and like she'd had she'd had five kids and we're talking about oh there's going to be a break so people can go to the toilet or whatever and then i say to the lady who's had the five kids it's like you go to the toilet whenever you like because i mean you're probably pissing yourself right now so don't don't just sit there and think you have to wait for the break and that that can work anytime you talk to a woman who says i've had five kids but then other stuff will only work in that moment yeah you've got to mm. it's like you can tell when someone's trying to shoehorn a bit that's yeah, worked yeah, before. Not work. yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some bits will, you know, you're always going to have a woman in, in the crowd at some point who's had five kids and you can always work that bit in there. But yeah, you can, if someone's trying to shoehorn something, it, it, it stands out.
Now, speaking of this not working, um, we touched last time we spoke about, you know, how far is too far and, and you know, is there anything that you, you can't joke about? Um, looks like Chris Rock sort of found out how far this too far <laughs> <laughs> at the Oscars. What, what, what's your take on that? Or first up, have, have you ever had sort of physical violence threatened to you as a result of, of going too far in a gag? Uh, no, no, unfortunately I haven't. Um, it's, yeah, you, look, you should, everything's everything's up for joking and you've the best thing about stand-up comedy is it's an automatic you know if you've gone too far or not because the crowd just go, that was fucked up, mate. And you get an instant response. And some people might, you know, I've had shows where people have walked out and that's because I try to push the envelope as much as I can and I try to, you know, the, the, the best gold comes from the darkest places sometimes. And while some people have walked out, other people have sat sat there and enjoyed this and enjoyed it and come up afterwards and go mate i can't believe those people walked out what's their fucking problem you know mm. and it might be I, I used to do a joke about um uh using artificial intelligence robots to kill old people in nursing homes once they're and it's a um you know it's a good joke and you know people with dementia because my grandma died from dementia and at the end of it she, you know when she died it was just a relief for the family and and then that sort of some people didn't like it and but some people came up afterwards and were like mate thank you so much for that like my mum died of dementia and it was the most fucking horrible thing we've ever had to go through mm. and so you know it's just can happen nothing's off limits but as long as it's um as long as it's funny and the uh intent of the bit the, the intent has to be pure if the intent is to fucking put people down and not you know and be not nice then it's not going to work but if the intent's pure then people will go along with you mick does that sort of require oh, sorry you? i missed i missed the slap i mean i, I didn't talk about the slap it's yeah look you just shouldn't if comedians on stage and they say something you don't like you talk to them afterwards you know you don't walk up and slap them on stage that's just yeah completely out of line i saw someone with a great take on it um last night actually was it last night yeah last night brendan burns and he was um he was talking about you know he was just suggesting that perhaps will smith is an abused is in an abusive relationship and that when he was saying get your get my wife's name out your fucking mouth what he was really meaning to say was help me help help me she's fucking my son's friends help <laughs> it was a cry for help it was a cry for help so, so um so mick in order to work with the audience um how much is just picking the person, the body language, the level of interaction to get it right so it doesn't fall flat? And and I think if you stay with the Chris Rock experience, if he was doing that joke and looking at Will Smith, Will Smith was laughing and then there was a bit of a delayed onset to him deciding, no, I'm going to get on stage and give you a slap for that. But how yeah. much can you pick the audience member that you think is going to be a good fit to work with them on a joke or a punchline? Oh, you can generally read people's body language in a certain way, particularly if you, because you just say, you just say hello and what's your name or you just, oh, that's a nice shirt or um, 
whatever and then based on their response you'll know if they're um going to be a, a person you can work with or not but then it's the same thing anyone is a person you can work with you just have to and sometimes they're not i'll be honest no sometimes sometimes they're not but if you if they've gone to a comedy show surely you know like it's different i guess if you're sitting in the audience at the oscars and you just got to take this or whatever that that thing but people have come to your show it's almost by buying a ticket you're up for a bit of banter yes yeah 100 percent. the fact that they're there means that you know they they want to be entertained and you know you can some people you read their body language and then like I have a line that I use when I'm crowd working. You go, oh, I can tell straight away that you're. Uh, I, I I can sort of read your mind here, and what you're telling me is to stop fucking talking to me. And you know, with I could I could go along with what you're telling me, or I could dig a little bit deeper. You know, what is it you do for a job? Or you know, everyone's got something that's going to fit in somewhere that you can get a laugh out of. You know, whether it's it's their job, it's where they live, it's um, it's all basics. It's who, how are they married? Are they you know, everyone's got something and it's just up to the, it's just, I guess with experience, you know, whether you can sort of push a bit further or if they're best off being left alone and talk to the person next to them. Mm. And as you mature and you explore yourself, which sounds like a lot of the themes in Fair Dinkum is about you thinking about life and your place in it, any dawning realisations as we all grow older um, on, you know, what's gone right, what's gone bad, yeah, I think like one of the things is that um, I one of the things about getting you know being in love doesn't change. I think so. Was, then I was, there's a bit of an in, investigation there into like what would it be like to fall in love in your 80s and your 90s, you know, because they, you know you fall in love with someone and then you go through that period where you just you know you're just having sex constantly because you want to get into this person, and then what? How's that? You know, is that what a lot of hip fall injuries are you know when they say <laughs> nana's had a fall oh has she has she or is it that new bloke she's hanging out with at the nursing home you know so she uh, fell fell on him exactly him. oh she dislocated her hip in a fall did she yeah right or was it reverse cowgirl who knows um now we had to delay the start in fact no we had to bring forward the start of this podcast because Seems like your second career is in boxing. How's the boxing well, career going? Yeah, uh, that is uh, just something you've got to. Um, one of the things about doing a festival is you're working every night and you're sort of out socialising, and it can be a um, it can be a pretty sort of a bad mix, particularly in terms of trying to keep your head together for work every night. So if you're drinking and um, you know staying up late and stuff like that, you You've got to look after yourself and the best thing i find about um the boxing training is it really sweats you, you really sweat your ass off you get punched in the head a few times and um yeah it just it's easier than going for a run and also the class times they have class times so you pretty much have to get up and it motivates you in that sense so yeah i don't mind it it's a um it's a if you're going for a run you just keep putting it off and putting it off until you think, ah, oh, it's too late to go for a run now. I better get showered up and go to work. Whereas there's a class, so you have to be there for the class. And yeah, is there an element of, of post Will Smith self defence in there as well? You know, Chris <laughs> Rock clearly was not, <laughs> he was not prepped for that here. 
there, there, there is now. Um, there's a few comedians that uh, do a bit of training, um, martial art, combat training, and their Facebooks, all their Facebooks have all been very funny. Like fuck it, Chris, some Will, uh, Will Smith, come and hit me, baby. Like you know, I would have fucking knocked you out. Um, so that, yeah, that's all pretty. And then you look and you think, shit, yeah. If anyone tried to hit him, they'd be they'd be in a lot of trouble. But yeah. I don't expect anyone to be trying to hit me. I'm a nice guy. I try to have fun with people and don't hang with shit. But um, you, you know. only pick on mothers of five. Does, does yeah, exactly, exactly. They're, they're unlikely to come and uh, swamp the stage because I've uh, suggested that their um, urinary security isn't great. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's purely about um, keeping your mental health yeah. Keeping your mental health strong, getting down there and making sure that you... Um, and also there's a money element involved too because it costs money. You think, all right, 220 bucks for the month. I need to go to at least 15 classes to get me money, to, to get me money's worth. <laughs> um, Mick, you, you mentioned running before and I noticed from your Insta you, you're a bit of a, a park runner. Yep. Um, and how you track on the, the 5Ks? What's your, what's your PB? PB? Park run PB is a 2040. You, you got a sub 20 in you? I've done a sub 20, not at a park run. No, I'm not consistent oh. enough. Um, generally, I'm around 22, 23, mm. which is, you know, which is all right for someone I get in my age bracket. So you, you spoke about, you know, part of the fed income show being looking at, you know, how things change and reflecting on, on life and that sort of stuff. Clearly with things like running, there is a peak where you, you're going to be, you know, going yeah. downhill as, as I'm definitely encountering um what about comedy Do, is there a peak in terms of age for for comedy nah can you, can you be really funny and old you can be yeah there's plenty of people who've had um like late career um who've been doing comedy for 30 years and then all of a sudden they're and just a you know a grafter a club comedians a festival and then all of a sudden they're on tv and radio because they've been discovered but they've got 30 years under their belt it's just it's just whether you um, want to try to stay relevant and, you know, if you keep updating your material and you keep watching and you make an effort to go and watch younger comics who are coming through. I, one night I was at an open mic night and um, uh, who was there? Lawrence Mooney was hosting it. This was a few years ago, but Lauren, and Lawrence Mooney's a, you know, a theatre touring TV, radio, well-known and he was hosting this open mic night. And I walked in because I just wanted to, um, you know, I had some new material I wanted to try out. And he's just like, what are you doing here? And I was like, what am I doing here? What are you doing here? And then he's just like, oh, no, I just throw myself into these things every now and again. You've got to, you've got to, if you don't hear what the kids are talking about, you next thing you know, you're irrelevant. So mm. you just got to keep, keep plugging away. And then there's always cruise ships into your 60s and 70s. <laughs> Is that, is that but, you and Mariah Carey on the cruise ship? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but you can, you know, the, the longer you do it, the, the better you should be getting at it. You can tell when someone's got a a, um, a 30-year swagger compared to a 20-year swagger. When someone, I watched Mark Maron at the walk on stage one time, and he, before he even put his drink down on the stool, you just and he's, what's he been doing for, 35 years? And before I even put his drink down on the stool, I just looked at him and went, whoa, this guy's good. You know, like you can, <laughs> you can see it in, in the way they walk on stage and stuff. So in theory, you should be getting better the longer you do it.
but it's just about staying relevant. You talked about um, you know the young talent and staying connected there, as well as the emerging um, uh, comedians award at the Melbourne um, Comedy Festival. Outside of seeing your show, of course, is there any new talent that you think is amazing? Um, oh yeah, there's heaps. Um, I went and watched um, Dan Raff the other night, and he's been around for. He's not exactly a new talent, but he's just brilliant. He's just got this mind that works in different way to other people. I always try and um, when I, I host a show, and um, always try and book the uh, always offer to book the raw comedy finalists on it because they all they all come into town from around the country and they they've got their raw comedy final on the sunday and they all want spots you know to come and practice their material and try their jokes in front of a melbourne crowd and all this sort of stuff so i always put my hand up to them and say come and come and do a spot at the shows i book and um yeah you get to see see who the uh, the up-and-comers are so that's always good and Oh, who else? It's always I always forget when people say who should we go and watch. Um, I don't know. You'd have to. <laughs> I get put on the spot. Um, Blake Everett, Oliver Coleman. I watched Oliver Coleman in in his Adelaide show. He's he's pretty awesome. Very different and um, sort of taking things in a in a, in an absurd direction, which is always interesting to see. Not afraid to. Um, change the dynamic of of the show by um getting off the stage and perform going to the back of the room and taking people out of their comfort zone which is always interesting to see i watched a show there's a guy called gary Starr. he's once again he's not new he's a clown his show was pretty cool very different uh once again highly recommend that one when he starts here i think he starts this week um yeah he but just sort of get on me um i always say you know anyone want any recommendations and i'll tell you who to go and watch if you can remember the signature sort of vibes for the different comedy festivals like mm. is that you, you mentioned a melbourne audience clearly there's going to be cultural sort of differences between there and edinburgh and fringe and and what have you but do are there sort of thematic feels at, at each of these different sort of venues or, or does it generally sort of blend for you uh, no, every every festival's um very different and the audiences are always different like Surreal. um Perth, I find Perth to be quite a um, up for it festival, where audiences are uh, maybe, but they get they get less less opportunity to to see stuff in in Perth. So they're real eager and they get out and they'll they'll go and take they'll take risks and go and just fill up shows for the heck of it because they're on. Um, Adelaide is a, Adelaide is a bit more. Um, not slower, not laid back, but just a little. There's, Adelaide's probably similar to Perth in that sense, whereas they, um, you know, their festivals on once a year and they have a big month in February, March, so they get out for things and they're up for it as well, I guess. And then Melbourne's pretty more. Melbourne is more. Um, we get entertainment all year round, so we're here to see what you can do and that sort of thing. And then Edinburgh's. Edinburgh is a whole different thing again. It's um, Edinburgh's just big, I suppose. It's big, and you get people from all around the world, and it's a very every show can be different over there. But yeah, they're definitely definitely different vibes, and you get and also different comedians at the different thing. You know, there's you know there's different um, different comedians come out for different reasons, and yeah, it's pretty cool. 
Melbourne's definitely bigger. Yeah, and and you're going to Edinburgh this year, aren't you, Mick? Edinburgh's back open. Yes, Edinburgh's back open. My partner's English too, and she hasn't been home since um, September 2019. So, yeah, we're looking forward to getting over there. And what will that look like in terms of a regime of shows? Um, you know, what is how does Edinburgh, the city, get transformed during um, their festival? I uh, similar to the way Adelaide does, but bigger. I always say. The, when people say which is the biggest festival, I always think of in terms of cricket averages. So, um, <laughs> like Edinburgh's Don Bradman, and then Melbourne is Steve Smith. Like that's the difference between them. You know, they they're great, but there's there's a big difference. And Edinburgh's a really it's almost a twenty four hour festival. You can do your first spot at ten o'clock in the morning and still be up doing spots at three o'clock at night. You know, and I think the most the most the most um, spots and shows and you do a couple of 50 minute shows and then you do various length spots at other people's shows and the most i've done it in a night is like 17 just running from going from place to place to place and handing out flyers and doing you do different things different a lot of different shows there that are um like the joke thieves shows and you can do live role playing like live dungeons and dragons shows and <laughs> in front of an audience playing characters in a Dungeons and Dragons game. And yeah, there's heaps of different things to do where you, you know, I often play the, um, there's a, a, um, what is what? There's a show that's just all, um, all black comics, people of color. And then they have the token white guy, which is, you know, you get on and, um, you do the token white guy spot and then they drag you off stage halfway through as part of the show to, you know, you, you, we've heard enough from you. Get off, you know. And, you know, you got to make a big. Hang on, I'm a white person. My voice deserves to be heard. And, you know, so yeah, a lot of fun stuff that you can do there. And then there's these late night shows that are just you only go to them if you want people to throw beer at you and heckle you and not let you talk at all. You know, and that sort of stuff. So yeah, pretty fun. Like I say, nearly a 24 hour festival. Does, does our version of comedy in Australia resonate? Okay in oh yeah 100 percent. yeah 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 um and it's quite i don't know i guess it's quite like um when you get people year after year come back to your show that's you know they're like oh we loved you last year and we bought four friends made to come see you again you know and that sort of thing it's quite um quite rewarding in that sense they really if you if you're good if you're good if you're a good comedian in edinburgh and you get around you do enough spots you find an audience no problem for your show it's like people go people you do a seven minute spot and people are like yep he's good let's go watch him mm-hmm. you get yeah you, get, you definitely get um value for your shots over there if you've made it this far Congratulations, we're as surprised as you are. Stick around because it could get better, but don't quote me on that. You can find out more about the topics of resilience, stress, and how to optimise your life in the Resilience Shield. Reach out via the website at www.resilienceshield.com or do yourself a favour and just buy a copy of the book. So as part of the, the kind of fair income exploration theme, are you looking and and in line with that question about you know when you peak as a comic, you know do you is 
is this it for the the foreseeable future? Will you will you keep traveling? You know, is it still fun? Is it still keeping you you sort of motivated? Is there a use by date on on sort of traveling the world and the country on on festivals? Uh, there, there, there could be. It just depends if you. It's you know, it's it's a pretty tough three months in a row. You know, when you go from mm. Perth to Adelaide to Melbourne, and but it's it's just it's good fun. And if I was, uh, if, you know, compared to anything else that I feel like I might want to do, this is still way ahead. And we have that conversation a bit, you know, how long do you want to keep putting yourself through this? And how long do you want to keep waking up in the morning and checking your ticket sales and stressing about are people going to show up and all that? But essentially, at the end of the day, when you're on, on stage, and we often talk about it, like 10% of the job is being on stage, having fun. And then 90% of it is marketing and networking and, and writing emails and sending out press releases and putting up posters and all that sort of crap. But um, the 10% that's, as long as the 10% that's fun, the on stage part makes up for everything else. And yeah, it's, mm. it's, it's better, you know, it's indoor work with no heavy lifting boys. <laughs> well, Mick, if you weren't doing comedy, what else would you do? What's the alternative? Uh, look, I don't know. I it's a good question. I I used to write radio ads, um, which has moments as a job. I've done, you know, I was landscaping, labouring, picking fruit. It's it's hard to know. And then one day, I just was at a comedy club and saw a sign that said, um, "Open mic." You know, there's a competition with a three thousand dollar prize, and I entered it and came third, and then just kept doing it. Mm. So I don't know. All right, Harry Garside, uh, Olympic boxer, just won the Australian lightweight title and was a guest on our show a few weeks ago. Yep. He has tattoos of his fame uh, of his favourite boxers. Now, you have a fair bit of ink as well. Not that I'm going to ask you whether you've got the tattoos of your, famous, of your favourite comedians, but can you, describe, <laughs> can you describe the artwork that adorns your body? Uh, what have I got? I've got a, um, I've got a couple of, just a couple of, um, I've got a humpback whale on one ankle, a gecko on another ankle. I've got a, uh, quote from Kurt Vonnegut on my left wrist. So it goes, which is the, um, the, from the, from the novel Slaughterhouse-Five. It's the Tralfemidorian, uh, expression to death. So it goes, which means that, you know, they might be dead now, but in a different time they were alive and, um what else and i've got uh two 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 women fighting two dragons on my back mm. which we we noticed from your your insta feed yeah did you go the the full sort of starsky and hutch level two dragons is there the, the sort of symbology of, of having the the two dragons on there no not really when i was um 19 i walked into a tattooist and i said mate can i get a picture of a chick fighting a dragon and <laughs> That was sort of on, on on my right shoulder there and down the back a bit. And then I didn't, and then went for a couple of sessions and nearly got it finished. And then he moved away and I just went around for a long time with the unfinished tattoo on my back and then found a tattooist who was, and a lot of them weren't, you know, I went around, I probably spoke to 15 tattooists and they, most of them were like, oh, that's not my style and I wouldn't feel comfortable finishing off something else. But then I found this guy who was like, oh, mate, yeah, let's get stuck into that. And then, yeah, it just finished. And so I was like, yeah, 
please. It's, I've had this unfinished tattoo on my back for 20 odd years, so let's just get it finished. It, it's got to me a bit of a, a sort of Sandman vibe to it, like the, the kind of thing that would, would have pride of place on the, the side of a, a panel van, that, that kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty. Uh, you know, I'm. I feel pretty. I'm pretty happy with it. But like, you should see the tattoos. He's just. He just sits there and looks at it and he goes, "Buddy, that's fucking good. That is. <laughs> that is good." And he actually he said to me um, at the end of the last session, he's like, "Oh, you know, how much more are we going to do? Because I can do this, I can do that." And I said, "Well, Gooley, let's just finish it, mate. You know, like we. This is the third session. Let's just get it done." And did seven hours, which was pretty pretty hectic, but um. And then at the end of it, he said, look, he goes, I can leave it like this, but it really needs another two hours. And you did say to me that um, you, you, you wanted it finished, but um, just for my own personal pride and the artistic integrity, I need you to come back and I'll do another two hours for free just to get it finished off how I want it finished off. It's like, dude, you're an artist. Yes, <laughs> no problem. The masterpiece. Yeah. Magic. Is yeah, there so a, anyway, I've, I'm bought, I've, I bought a lot more singlets. I work, walk around with my shirt off a lot more now than I. <laughs> yeah. How, how many Bintang singlets do you own? Just two. Just two. Just two. Just but two. yeah, that's the, the, you, I get a new one every time you go back. And I mean, you know, obviously the Bintang singlet is it's sort of up there with the Southern Cross tattoo as the, uh, as the um, you know, as a, as a badge of boganism. But I wear mine ironically. I'm like, I'm well aware. The, of what it means, but it's an it's an ironic Bintang singlet. I mean, maybe there's a future comedy theme in in your tattoos. You know, Mick Nevin shirts off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just get a, a full chest job and full back job, and and just yeah, be the shirt off tattooed guy. Why not? There's a niche there. I don't think anyone's doing it. <laughs> That's right. Or just just do the whole show with your back towards the audience. Yeah, yeah. So they can That's marvel at the artwork. Yeah, there's a uh, that's an interesting tactic. Yeah, listen so to any music. That, you're, you're obviously, you know, with a bit of fitness coming in, we're cutting up. I, I think this is a good trend we, we could sort of move towards. I can't remember if last time we asked you about your power song. Can you refresh us on that? And, and has it changed or evolved since last we spoke? A power song? I don't well, think you... Well, I, we, 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 might, we mightn't have hit you up. We, we often ask our guests, what's their, their power song? What do you chuck on the old iPod to, to get you fired up for a, a workout or a run or a, a session in the gym. What, what's your go-to, Mick? Yeah, oh, there'd be a few. Sweet child. Uh, no, welcome to the jungle. Oh, yeah. Yep. Welcome to the jungle. When I'm um, definitely welcome to the jungle. When I'm surfing, so you know, like you get the song, the last song that you heard on a loop, you know, and if you, if you, if it happened to be some, like Taylor Swift or something, uh, I don't know, something a bit lame and you're just out in the surf and that's in your head, then I start, um, and then I, to get that out, I start singing Welcome to the Jungle, you know, to um, to get me more, more in the mode for, for a surf, yeah. So that's probably, yeah, that's, that'd be my power song. What, what do you run, Tim? Have you changed yours lately? You, you originally had, was it Working Class Man? No, no, it was No Second Prize by Jimmy Barnes which I still do like that song. Um, and periodically, very periodically, I'll play the Unforgiving 60 playlist and I do like it when that song comes on. Um, no, nothing really super special. I, I'm actually enjoying everyone else's power songs and, and the variety of them. I think Ali Hill had Mac Lamore, Ali Hill, the psychologist who uh, we've had on the show a couple, couple of times. Or, yep, yep. Um, yeah. And then even your Britney Spears, Ben. 
<laughs> that that gives me a lot of power. I actually, um, Monjo Jiva gave us um, the Sound of Madness, the Shine Down song, which I'd never heard of before. That's a cracker. You, that's what you want, uh, Nick. Cue that up just before you you uh, jump in the water next time. Here's a bit of a left wing one. I left uh, a left field one. Um, what Miley Cyrus' cover of Zombie? Right. Yeah, the cranberry song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She does. She's got a cover of Zombie on her latest album, which um, which sort of I just went, you know. And I've always I kind of like Miley Cyrus, but yeah. um, she's actually my uh, wild card. You know, your celebrity wild card. Mm. Where, oh, right. yeah, yeah, hall pass thing. Hall pass, yeah. So she's my celebrity wild card. But then I, uh, I listened to the zombie thing. I was like, wow, yeah, she's she she's going to remain my celebrity wild card for some time. <laughs> she does a great Jolene, you know that old. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the Jolene. Yeah. And then she did the the uh, the Stevie Nicks the um the Stevie Nicks song as well. Yeah, she she can't sing. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. Mm. Nice one. Looking at your program in the next few months, where can people find you in which capital cities? Uh, let me think. I'll be in Melbourne until the end of the Comedy Festival and then um, gigs around Queensland and Sunshine Coast. We run a few gigs up there. It's always just get on the Instagram and the Facebook page and you'll know. Um, the Sunshine Coast and then um, pretty much up in Queensland until we go to Edinburgh, in the UK in July, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, check out uh, Mick Nevin on Insta and Facebook. And is it mcnevin.com.au? Have I got that right? Yeah, but my website's not working at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> It'll never take I've, off. I've, I've, yeah, I've had, I've had some, kind of, um, some kind of issue and then my website designer has retired from website design, so can't get it fixed. But I'll... That's, you, you're encountering the same stuff like your tattoo, people not wanting to, to work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't do that sort of stuff anymore. So, all right, no worries. But, um, yeah. I don't do my space pages anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look me up on um, Instagram and Facebook and you'll, you'll know where I am. Right. Well, we're, we're going to link your website. I'm going to Google it now just to see what happens when you go there. We'll yeah. Link in the show notes. Yep, fantastic. Yep. So from Melbourne to Queensland to the Sunshine Coast to Edinburgh, check out McNevin on his socials, Insta and Facebook to check out his new show. McNevin is fair dinkum. Thanks for coming on the program, Nick. Thank you. And I just remembered too. I just remembered. I saw your book in the uh, in an airport. In, I was looking at. So I saw your book in an airport bookshop, and I just wanted to say, there's a beautiful author face you're pulling in that one, Timmy. Like, really, <laughs> Just real hand on the chin looking really like, yeah, I just wrote a book. So nice work there. That's very proud of myself in third person. Well, I mean, in my defence, we don't pick the photographs, the publisher. Okay, did. that's the publisher's thing, is it? Yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, and um, I mean, you, you, you did pick the photos. Like, you, you, can't, you can't say anyone was saying, just, you know, took your head to the side and look a little more pensive. I mean, that, that was all you. Very authory, anyway. It's very authory. Look less pensive and more constipated, I think. <laughs> um, did you put your hand in your pocket and buy a copy, Mick? No, I figured I'd just get one off your blokes, like direct hand sign. I'd, I'd like a signed copy, thanks. Yeah, fair, fair call. call. Fair <laughs> call. They're, they're worthless, Mick. Yeah, yeah I know. I know. <laughs> Once we're scribbling, <laughs> it stuffs the retail. It'll make someone excited when they find it at the secondhand bookshop. I wonder, I wonder who Mick was and why did he get rid of this book? <laughs> and then they flick through it. Oh, that's why. Uh, there we go. <laughs>
Well, uh, we're we're proud to announce. I think we're we're in the seventh print run or something crazy at the moment. Oh, well so, done. Yeah, it's been. Uh, well, I, I, honestly, I think that reflects more on their very low levels of expectation. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. When they're printing fifty books at a time, it's not hard to get up to seven. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is also true. Well, Mick, we will send you a free author signed copy. Um, Outstanding. Absolutely. Absolutely. We might even write something nice on the inside cover. Beautiful. Love your work, boys, and thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on the show again. Good to Thank chat you. again, Mick. See you, mate. Looks like another night on the bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feels like my back's against the for a fan I can't meet you there I'll make you aware I'll leave you warm inside tonight I've got this pain in my head excellence and would love your insights and feedback. Also, if you know someone who is living a life less ordinary, let us know. You can get in touch with us at debrief at unforgiving60.com. That's debrief at unforgiving60.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and rate us on iTunes. You can also follow us on social media. Just search for Unforgiving 60 on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. Until next time, we wish you luck in filling your unforgiving 60s with some quality distance run. I've got this pain in my head, and it won't go away on a pain. Yeah, going nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Let's go.